exclusive episode of The Sheriff. Guys, tonight I am blessed to have a gentleman that I really look up to and that really, really inspires me. We're going to go with the theme today for this episode for a saying that is that this gentleman is known for, and I'm going to say it, I quote, think big, dream hard, and dare to be different. And I can see him smiling right now because I could tell that that's all what he's all about. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bring him in right away. Without further ado, the Trevor Whiffin. How are you doing, my friend? Sean, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem, buddy. I am so excited to have you on the show, and there's many reasons why. First off, we have history together, my friend. Our careers, we do. Our careers have intertwined, but man, I cannot get over the, the, the record that you have in hockey, Trevor, the resume, okay? Especially like the London Knights is pretty much what I'm talking about here. We both have had... Our careers intertwined with the London Knights. Yours a lot longer than yeah. mine, right? So there's a lot of reasons here, but I want to pick your brain, Trevor, and I kind of want to start from the beginning. And of course, I want to start. Our, in our careers intersect with the Mississauga Ice Dogs too, originally, and then yes. we both found our way to the Knights. So we have those two points of intersection in junior. That's hockey. right. Yeah, that's right. So now, Trevor, I am inspired by the way that you've lived your life your career in general, I want to figure out why. I want to figure out how. I want to go to the beginning. I want to talk about Ancaster a little bit, my friend. Well, you have done your homework. Yeah, Ancaster's a long time ago, but it's still near and dear to my heart. It's my hometown. Yes, yes. So now, were you born in Ancaster? No, I was born in Brantford, in the Brantford General Hospital, just like Wayne Gretzky, but that's where our careers sort of went in different directions. (laughs) <laughs> Me and Wayne from Brantford. So the same hospital, though, of the great one. Yeah, Brantford General, right downtown. Okay, right on. So now, but you grew up in Ancaster, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, my parents uh, emigrated from England to uh, Brantford, Ontario. I was born there. We moved to Hamilton. I lived in Hamilton for nine years. And Hamilton very much uh, played a role in sort of uh, developing who I am even to this day. Like there were lessons I learned as a young kid growing up in Hamilton that have stayed with me including sort of don't let anybody push you around and don't let anybody steal your candy on Halloween, <laughs> which happened to me when I was nine years old. And I thought that's never going to happen again. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm grateful to Hamilton and uh, still I'm very fond of Hamilton and I have uh cat seasons tickets there. And, uh, but I did grow up at Ancaster in the formative years, uh, like grade six through 13, then went off to McMaster university, still lived in Ancaster, went to Queens for law school and then uh, to Toronto, for the uh, the big city lights on Bay Street. And I've practiced on Bay Street for over 30 years, but I still consider Hamilton and Ancaster home and uh, and Brantford in a way too, although I don't remember anything about Brantford uh, other than what I've learned since, so. Yes. Now, Trevor, this is what I find incredibly interesting. Now, I was I was watching this one interview that you did and you explained how sports was such a big part of your life, such a big passion of yours, that your mother would often warn you, you better pay more attention to school, not yeah. just all sports, young man. So yeah. was it, were you just, you were just like me, man. Every sport you loved, right? It was a big part yeah, of everything. your life. You know, and I used to keep my own statistics, like for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, I would write out, you know, in longhand in a book that I kept, 
how many rushing yards were recorded by each running back, like back before the days of the internet when you could get that information readily accessible. I would write it all down by hand. I was sort of a, a sports nerd, but I also played every sport going to, but I very much love sports. Uh, hockey was my first passion. Uh, football 1B probably among sports, lacrosse, soccer. I even played basketball in high school, believe it or not, because as you know, I'm not blessed with a lot of height, but I was a guard and I could handle the ball. So I played every sport going and uh, love sports and I love music too. So music is also very important to me, although I'm not gifted as a musician, but I certainly do enjoy music and, and consider music an important part of my life. But sports number one, no question. Right on. Now, so this is another interesting thing, Trevor. Now, I know like the education route that you went, obviously, you know, you were in McMaster, but now this is some things that I want to mention that stood out when I was looking at it. The Dean's Honor List, and also the recipient of the University Canadian Scholarship. Yeah. Not yeah, too shabby, my man. Yeah, I was fortunate to get the uh, Canadian Club Scholarship for, I guess, the highest grade in history. And um, as an interesting aside, when I was awarded the scholarship like and, and uh, received the scholarship and the funding, I had the privilege of sitting at lunch with Kenneth Taylor Canada's ambassador to Iran during the Iranian crisis, hostage taking no crisis in 1979-80. So, yeah. uh, you know, what a cool thing is a young guy get, getting into law to sit with Canada's ambassador to Iran. And of course, they did the movie Argo with uh, Ben Affleck. Uh, uh, I've know, seen it. No, it's a great Europe. movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, three or four years later, I'm at an airport with a buddy going to Florida. And I say, hey, there's Ken Taylor, Canada's ambassador to uh, Iran. I, I've met him and he's like, you haven't met him. And I went over and he actually remembered having met me at that uh, luncheon, which was very flattering. And even if he was uh, maybe uh, pulling wool over my eyes, he pulled it off and we believed that, yeah, he did remember meeting me in Hamilton at the Canada Club uh, luncheon. So, yeah, I know I've been blessed to have a lot of interesting experiences and met a lot of interesting, really interesting people in my time. And I'm very lucky. Yes, oh, 100%. So now, Trevor... Because sports was such a big thing in your life, right? Did you know when you decided to go to law school that you were going to be involved in, in the law of sport? Like, like did, did you have that plan? I guess I had the dream, but I didn't have the plan. Like when I was in law school, which is a long, long time ago, there were no sports law courses. There were no primetime sports conferences you could go to. Yes. You probably didn't know anybody that worked in sports. Sports businesses hadn't evolved the way they are now. Like Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is a massive uh, corporation now that hires lawyers, accountants, sports event management people, marketing people, corporate sponsorship people. Like if there's a skill you have, you can probably find a job at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. But that didn't exist way back when. So you had the dream of maybe working in sports, but you had no idea how you were going to get there. One thing I did know, Sean, was that I needed a break. And my break came on a snowy Friday afternoon in February, I think, of 1989, when I got a call out of the blue from Hockenate in Canada, who needed somebody to represent Don Cherry in a case against the Winnipeg Jets. And I was like the only guy in the office on a Friday afternoon in February. Everybody else was off skiing. I took the call, fielded the questions, represented Don and so my first two clients as a young aspiring sports lawyer were Hockey Night in Canada number one and my second client was Don Cherry like 
you can't get luckier than that. And Don is still uh, a friend of mine and a client of mine right to this very day. I just spoke to him on the weekend for 45 minutes. So, you know, it's been a great ride. And I've been, as I say, I've been fortunate to be blessed with the opportunity to know and meet and work with and learn from a lot of pretty influential and successful people. So it's been a great ride. I've been very fortunate. Okay, so now this is getting even juicier, Trevor. Okay, so this this is great. So this was right off the hop. Those were literally your first two clients? Yeah, yeah. You know, like you, you think you might get uh, the coach of the Lindsay Muskies as your first client, but I was fortunate. Hockey Night in Canada and Don Cherry. And, and you know, with Don, we've, we've worked together for 30-plus years now. So it's been a great run. He's a very, very good friend. He's like... Uh, a family member to me and he's been very loyal and, and very supportive of me in all sorts of things that I've done. So I'm very grateful to Don. Couldn't have done it without him. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited that you actually brought Don up right now too. Um, so that's obviously was the beginning of your guys pretty much lifelong relationship. You can consider it now, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We started working together on the, the project of getting an OHL team for Mississauga in the summer of 1996, when the OHL indicated that they wanted to expand into the greater GTHL area. At that point in time, uh, the OHL only had the Oshawa Generals and yep. there was no St. Mike's Majors yet. They were coming. There was no Mississauga Isogs, no Brampton Battalion. And we saw an opportunity to start a junior team in Mississauga and applied for the franchise and were not successful at first. Uh, Brampton got theirs in December of 96 and we were awarded ours at the next Board of Governors meeting on January 21 of 1997. So, you know, we were on the landscape in the OHL as of January of 97 and got the Hershey Center built uh, to play a host to our, our team. And it's been a great experience. And that led to, you know, we, we ran the team for five years and then eventually sold it and I moved on to London and I've been fortunate to be the governor of the London Knights for 19 years now, 19 seasons. Wow. And of course, lots has happened in London in the last 19 years. Yes. Championships, five trips to the Memorial cup and two Memorial cup championships. So it's been a fabulous run. And once again, getting to work, you know, side by side with Dale Hunter, and Mark Hunter has been just a tremendous opportunity. And just so you know, when Mark Hunter got your rights from Kingston in a trade way back when, I was talking to Mark and he said, I got Sean McMorrow because you can never have too much toughness. Those were the <laughs> words spoken directly by Mark Hunter. Well, and I appreciate that insight because stuff like that is so cool, Trevor. You know what I mean? Like you, you hear things like that on shows like this and 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 you know that that's a treat because that's that's insight you know and it was a while yeah. ago so so I appreciate that. But so that's, I'll try that's to... high praise from a guy like like Mark Hunter is one of the most astute uh, talent evaluators on the planet when it comes to hockey or or any sport for that matter. And for Mark to deliberately seek you out because you had a skill that he needed. So. Um, yeah, he uh, he said you can never have too much toughness, and Sean McMorrow's got toughness in spades. And of course, I knew that because I had you and Brian McGratton and Danny Sullivan in Mississauga <laughs> back in the 2000 season. We didn't have a lot of skill. We had Jason Spezza, who of course was a star. Chad Wiseman, who was a great junior, and played a bit in the NHL. 
and Pat Jarrett, who also was a great junior. Uh, but we had a lot of toughness. Nobody pushed us around with you, McGratton, and Danny Sullivan in the lineup. You're absolutely right. Now, I want to add to the, the, to a few of these talking points that, that you, you've done here. So now, Mississauga, Trevor, I want to point out some things because there's a couple names that have been brought up. Now, Don Cherry, man, I was so honored to have him as a special guest on the show, as I am with you right now, as I was with Mark Hunter probably about two months ago now, Hunts. The time has been flying, Trevor, since the end of the summer to now, right? Great guests to have, Cherry and Hunter. Those are yes. two iconic names in the hockey business. I trust me. I, I you have no idea how how grateful I was and how much fun I had in those episodes. So now let, let me tell you this: when you were the founder with Grapes, Don Cherry, with this Mississauga Ice Dogs team, I truly believe, Trevor, that that's the reason why all those other teams that you mentioned were added to the league. So I accredit you, man, for bringing Major Junior Hockey to the GTHL because literally you did because Oshawa is not in the GTHL. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, Oshawa, of course, is about 40 miles east of Toronto, but that was as close as the, the GTA, I should say, sorry. Toronto at that time. Yeah. You had St. Mike's then join the league just before us and they played out of uh, Maple Leaf Gardens originally. And then we joined with Brampton and of course, Brampton's now moved on, but uh, there's still a team in Mississauga. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's uh, part of the legacy that uh, we're proud to have helped uh, uh, start in Mississauga. And let me add to this legacy, because this is it from a player's standpoint, Trevor. And I said the same thing to Don when he was on the show. First of all, you mentioned the Hershey Center. Man, what a facility. Yes. What a facility, Trevor. Yes. Right? In its day, you know, when it opened in 1998... It was the state-of-the-art, best junior hockey rink, certainly in the OHL, maybe across the CHL. Uh, you know, 6,000 seats, uh, custom suites, big dressing room with fitness and workout areas. Like NHL guys looked at our dressing room and said, like, this is better than what we have in the NHL. We had great space. And, and Don was instrumental, Don Cherry was instrumental in mapping out what that part of the arena was going to look like because he'd been in more rinks than anybody uh, – uh, you never uh, would know. So he made sure that our players had a nice big dressing room with workout facilities and big showers and a coach's room right off the main uh, uh, dressing room and a, yes. a trainer's room that was also inside. So you didn't have to go wandering down the hall. It was all self-contained. And even the visitor's dressing room was pretty good for a visitor's uh, rink, a visiting teams uh, coming to your rink. So it was a great facility. Still is a great facility. Trevor, it was absolutely incredible. And from a player's standpoint, like I literally felt like I was in the NHL when I played with that team. We did have the best arena, hands down. No the question. dressing room, the dressing room was the best dressing room that I'd ever stood foot into. We yeah. had sauna, we had multiple hot tubs, cold tubs. We yes. had we had the yeah, the massage tables. You gave every possible advantage for us to feel comfortable, to feel professional, and to be successful. So that, first and foremost, needs to be pointed out, okay? Secondly, the players that were developed through the – like any, any expansion team is going to have like, like difficulty progressing. Everyone knows that, Trevor. 
But Jason Spezza, Brian McGratton, Lou Dickinson, these guys yeah, that came yeah. through the organization through you, man, they were they had incredible careers, Trevor. Right? So that's a that's that's hats off to you, my friend. Well, well, thank you. Jason Jason Spezza, it wasn't hard to pick him because he was a prodigy right from the time he was about 14. And uh, uh, you know, the tough thing would have been how you would have regretted not taking Jason Spezza. But, you know, Jason was tremendous. He was the poster boy for junior hockey for four years in the yeah. OHL. If you remember, he played in the World Juniors, I think, four different times, including as a 16-year-old, one of the youngest players ever. And Jason, to this day, is always very gracious and humble and respectful when I see him. And his parents, Don and Reno, Reno are great. And Matt, his brother, and his sister, I think it's Michelle. They're all, like, it's just a great family, uh, the Spezza family. I have a tremendous respect for them. So we were lucky to have some good players come through, but we did struggle as an expansion team, no question. Now, I remember, Trevor, like, with with Spets being on the team, you know, before he was traded, you know what I mean? He was he was touted to go first overall, right? That like, yeah. it was going to be either him or Kovalchuk, right? Yeah. So he, there was a lot of... second, of course, to Kovalchuk. Yes, yes. There was a lot of attention. And I remember him getting a lot of attention when we would come out of the dressing room. And, and it's funny that you brought up Matt because I'm actually pretty good friends with Matt now. You know, Matt started his sanitation, Spezza Sanitation Services. And, you know, I'm pretty good buddies with him. Jason's playing for the Leafs. So it's funny how... Everyone kind of seems to come back to where, yeah, where yeah. we started too, right? Yeah, and I've seen Matt recently when Jason uh, um, was scratched by Babcock in the home opener three years ago. Very uh, disappointing. I saw Matt that night at uh, uh, Scotiabank Arena. And needless to say, you know, the whole Spezza family was disappointed that Jason was not being given an opportunity to be in the starting lineup on opening night in his hometown. And that was really, I think, poorly handled. Uh, by Babcock, let's face it, it was Babcock's decision. Yeah. Jason yeah. deserved a lot better than that. Like, uh, you, you know, you mentioned about Jason being traded from the Missog Ice Dogs. He did ask for a trade in his second yes. year, and we accommodated that request. But I harbor no malice whatsoever against Jason. He wanted to do what he thought was best for him and his and for his development. And, uh, you know, we did the best to accommodate him and, and ended up trading him to... Uh, to Windsor. I think Windsor got the better of the deal because, you know, you, you typically judge a trade based upon who gets the best player and whoever got Jason Spezza was going to get the best player. So we did, we did okay. The guys we got back, but Spezza was a, a stud. No question. Like, remember, he came into our league as a double underager and got 71 points as a 15 year old in the OHL. And, <laughs> uh, you know, not many guys have done that. Taylor Hall, I think uh, came close, uh, Lindros is close. Lindros would have been uh, earlier than Jason, but not many players at that age have the ability to put up that kind of points in the Ontario Hockey League. Jason's first class. I I cheer for him every shift with the Leafs. Well, man, he um, it, it, he was one what a handful of exempted players too, right, Trevor? Like the, like the exemption to be able to play he, when you're 15. He actually played before there was the formal exemption for double really? underagers. Back in the day, in 1998, when Jason joined the Ontario Hockey League, the rule was, and I'm, I'm telling maybe tales out of, uh, out of uh, school here, but the rule was at that point, 
If you were a 15 year old, you could only play in your home center. So if you happen to be growing up in a That's city right. that had an OHL team, you could play there. Dennis Potvin did that. Rico Fata and Sault Ste. Marie, Kirk Muller with uh, Kingston, but not many played as a 15 year old. Jason came to Mississauga as a 15 year old. And our coach at the time was a guy named Peter Sturgeon, who decided that Jason wasn't good enough to play for the Mississauga Ice Dogs. And the, the Spezza family moved their family to Brampton that yes. summer so that Jason could play for the Brampton Battalion. So, okay. So, so this, okay. So this is the part where like, like I'm a little bit excited only because it's just exciting stuff. Now, when you joined the London Knights organization after the Mississauga Ice Dogs, okay? Now, first, at first, now you're you you be, you're 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 one of the governors, right? Like you're the rep yeah. for the board of governors for the London Knights, right? Every team in the league, there's 20 teams in the league. Every team has a governor. The 20 governors run the league along with David Branch as commissioner and Ted Baker as uh, vice president. So the governors do are kind of a a liaison between the team and the league office and a liaison between each of the teams. So we we deal with everything from equipment changes, rule changes, player safety, uh, dealings with the other federations, the IHF, USHA, or US Hockey rather, uh, equipment suppliers, all kinds of stuff. So in short, you could just say we do everything well, the, the governors run the league, but we don't do it by ourselves, obviously. The, True. There's a big staff at the OHL office, and each of the 20-member teams play a key role in running the league. But we sort of oversee a lot of different things that happen at the league level. So so there's two, there's two major things that I want to discuss with these London Knights, okay? Well, actually, three, because the Hunters will be another topic, okay? Now, first off, I want to talk about the incredible success that has happened with this group of guys, this organization, the London Knights, since Trevor Whiffen has been involved. <laughs> you don't, yeah, I appreciate you phrasing that way, but my involvement has played an, only an insignificant role in the success of the team. The, the, the real geniuses behind the success are Dale Hunter, Mark Hunter, and Basil McRae. Basil is uh, director of player personnel with uh, Columbus Blue Jackets of the NHL, but it's one of our owners. And these guys are, like Mark and Dale and, and Baz, are thoroughbreds when it comes to hockey pedigrees. You know, they played probably 45 years in the National Hockey League between the three of them and played probably over 3,000, 4,000 games. So they understand what it takes to become a pro and to stay in the National Hockey League and I've been lucky to be sort of providing support in areas where uh, it's not their strong suit. And I've been along for the ride, 19 seasons. And we've won, you know, we've, I don't think we've ever finished worse than ninth overall in the league. We've won four OHL championships. Uh, we've been to five Memorial Cups. We've won two Memorial Cups. We've hosted two Memorial Cups. And along the way, we've sent over 60 players to the National Hockey League um, in the last few years, including some pretty notable guys like Rick Nash, Corey Perry, Pat Kane, John Tavares, Nazem Kadri, Mitch Marner, Bo Horvat, Max Domi, Patrick uh, Maroon, and uh, Matthew Dennis Schreiber, Weidman. Christian Dvorak, who just uh, is making a splash up in Montreal, is also a London Knight, too, among many, many others. You know, Dennis Weidman, uh, 
uh, all kinds, Dan Gerard, all kinds of guys, Brandon Prust, David Boland, Prust. you know, <laughs> scored the winning goal in the 213 uh, Stanley Cup for Chicago. David Boland, London Knight, Robbie Shrimp, one of the greatest juniors ever, like just unbelievable skill. And you would have played against Shrimpy and yeah. know exactly what I mean. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now th that's perfectly said right there, Trevor, because I, the, you, you said what the stats there, right? Cause that's what I wanted to go over just to let the listeners understand how successful this organization has been, because I believe it's been the most successful organization in the last 20 years when it well, comes to winning percentage. In terms of winning percentage. Yes. In terms of, uh, players drafted by the national hockey league. Yes. Um, you know, we had two years, Sean, where we had three guys taken in the first round. Yeah. The NHL draft, you know, in, in uh, when the draft was in New York, we had uh, Max Domi, Nikita Zadarov, and Bo Horvat all taken in the top 11. Wow. I think it was top 11, maybe top 16. And then when we won the Memorial Cup in 216, we had Oli Jalevi, uh, Matthew Kachuk, and Max Jones all taken in the first round. Like, it's been a remarkable uh, run. And I think we've had... Um, 21 players drafted in the first round in the last 20 seasons. And that's more than any club team anywhere in the world. You know, that's incredible. The U.S. National Development Program had one great year, but we have a lot of great yeah. years over a long period of time. So uh, I'm very proud of our, our draft record and, of course, our record on the ice and the great young men that we've turned out, not just hockey players, but guys who've yes. gone on to be lawyers, teachers, doctors, accountants. A fireman, policeman, you know, pillars of their society uh, back in either in London or in their hometowns. So, you know, I'm very proud of uh, the young men that have played for us. It's been a great yes. success story. It's very, it's, it, it's very, very impressive. But what's even more impressive that I find is just kind of the risk taking that was also involved with it, Trevor. Like I was there before they got the new arena. Yes. I remember the criticism a downtown arena will never work. There's nowhere to park. It's not a good idea. The Hunters just had a vision. They stuck with it. And man, was it ever successful. Well, it's funny. There's a, a guy I know out of the U.S., a guy named Rick Horrell, who's a facilities expert. And he's written a book about where you should build facilities. And the name of the book should be Build It Downtown, because that's the, the thesis of his book is Build It Downtown. It will serve as a catalyst for urban renewal in just about any center. And we're seeing that now in Detroit with a new rink there, but coming back to London, yes, the London Knights used to play at the old ice garden south of the 401, like a long ways from town and a long way from the north end of London. And there's no beltway to get around London. So if you lived in Northern London, it was a, a long haul to get to the rink. They built the arena downtown. And you know the, the old expression is um, before they built the arena, you couldn't find a restaurant open on a Friday night. Now you can't find a seat in a restaurant on a Friday night because they're all full. It's been a great urban renewal story. 10,000 people coming downtown at least 34 nights a year during the winter. It's great for the city of London. It's absolutely incredible. And like, I mean, how awesome would it be for a player to be able to play in front of nine, 10,000 a night on a Friday night? have a chance to win every single year. I mean, Trevor, it, it's unbeatable, unbeatable yeah. program, right? We're eight, we're eight no again this year to start the season uh, with it's, all kinds of rookies in the lineup. People say to me, 
how good's your team? And I say, I really don't know because we have so many rookies, we haven't really seen them play a lot. And a lot of other teams have a lot of rookies. And so we haven't even had a chance to evaluate uh, other teams. When we played Owen Sound on opening night uh, three weeks ago, there were 25 players on the ice for the two teams that had never played a game in the OHL at that point because of the double cohort uh, of rookies joining the league because of COVID and missing a season. So, oh, yeah, it's been a tremendous uh, uh, success story. And uh, I can't say enough about uh, what a pleasure it's been to work with Mark and Dale Hunter. Like these guys are thoroughbreds, as I say, and they're, they're super, super competitive. Like I laugh, uh, uh, there was a game many years ago when and Dave Gagne, who was Sam Gagne's father, another guy that got drafted in the first round. Yes. The but Dave Gagne was one of our assistant coaches. And we won a game six to one on a Friday night. And Mark and Dale were both upset because we'd missed two scoring opportunities and gave up a weak goal. It should have been eight nothing. And I remember Dave Gagne saying, guys, guys, let's try and enjoy the fact that we just won a game six to one. You know, yeah. like, yes, it could have been eight nothing, but it was still six to one. You know, so yeah, I know the, the hunters are super competitive and they want to win and they know what to do to win because you know they've lived, breathed, and eaten hockey, slept hockey their entire lives. So you know, there isn't well, anything that happens on the ice that didn't happen to Dale a thousand times in his NHL career. So exactly. Man, I didn't know that they were that you guys are eight and oh to start the season. Yeah, yeah. That that's an attention grabber right there because Carolina and these teams are all you know, undefeated so far. What about the London Knights? 8-0. Yeah. Although no in our Memorial Cup year of 2005, we started the season 29-0-2. So we didn't lose until Christmas when David Boland and Robbie Shrimp and Corey Perry and Danny Sabret were all off at the World Juniors. Uh, so we started. So, like, 8 knows great. 29-0-2 is the mark that we measure a great Greatness. start by because we were fortunate to have that. Now that was the team that that everyone called the super team, right? The best it team was, ever. It was voted CHL team of the century. Team of the Our century. Overall record that year, Sean, was seventy nine nine and two. Seventy nine. We played ninety one games and we won seventy nine times. And we probably could have won eighty one because we went up to the Sioux and Sudbury in a northern swing at the end of the season and took some junior B guys with us so that we could rest Corey Perry and Danny Savrat and David Bolin and Robbie Shrimp, make sure they didn't get injured, you know, in, in what was really a, a game that was not going to uh, advance our position. Like we set an, we set an OHL record in 2004 for points in a season with 210. That's the most points ever for an, an OHL team, 210. The next year we did 120, <laughs> like just a remarkable team. And a lot wow. of those guys went on to play in the National Hockey League. So it's a, it's been a, just such a tremendous uh, um, success story. And for me, just a, a, an absolute uh, delight to be part of it. So now, Trevor, this is now, okay. So now to me, because I'm, I'm a former player, this is what's more impressive to me even. I want to talk about the Memorial Cup bids that you were head of, okay? Yeah. Now, not only uh, do I know how upset people were that it was within the time that it was, 05 and 2014, right? Yes, only nine years apart. 
But there's a lot that goes into it, Trevor. And I want oh, yeah. you to, 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 to show the, the, the listeners, you know what I mean? Explain how much you put into this, buddy. Okay, well, here's the process. When you're applying to host the Memorial Cup, you have to have, first and foremost, a team that is going to be competitive a year from now. So when we first been on the Memorial Cup in 2004, we had a team that had just set a record for points in a season with 110. And we were returning almost that entire team except for the three overagers. So we oh. could say with a straight face that, hey, we're going to be a great team again next year because we just had 110 points, 51 wins, 53 wins. And uh, we're returning almost that entire team. So that's the first ingredient in the equation. You have to have uh, a great rink. And, you know, we, we had a newly minted John Labatt Center, as it was then known, back in 2004 when we bid on it, uh, that holds 9,090 for hockey. And we were able to point to the fact that we sold, in a league where the average attendance is about 3,500, we sold 9,090 tickets, game in and game out, and still do. Like, we've sold out the vast majority of our games over the 18, 19 years that we've been in that facility. So we could point to wow. that. We also have great hotels in London. You know, you've got major hotels that can be used as host hotels for the tournament. You need five good hotels. So that helped too. Uh, we had never hosted the Memorial Cup, which I think played in our favor. It was our 40th anniversary the first year. So that played in our favor. Um, and we did a pre-sale because part of the, the equation as well, when you're bidding is, will your event be financially successful? And we did a pre-sale for Memorial Cup in 2004 for the 2005 season. And we sold every ticket more than one year in advance. No way. Really? Can't do much better than that. Yeah, I was, I was out in Kelowna in 2004 having breakfast with David Branch. And I said, oh, Dave, I just got word that we've sold all the tickets for next year. And you can see he nodded his head like he wasn't sure what I meant by that. I said, no, like we've now sold every ticket package. We're at the Kelowna Memorial Cup in 2004. I said, we've sold every ticket package for the Memorial Cup next year in London. Never happened before. And so fast forward or slow forward to 2014, we bid again. And we have a great team. We've just won the OHL championship in 212 with a very young team. Uh, we won it again in 213 with a very young team. We still had a great rank. We still had great community support. We sold out the event again more than a year in advance that year. And so, yeah, you know, there were like Barry, for example, was upset that they didn't get it. Uh, but I think, you know, evidently the committee, which included Paul Beeston, Jim Gregory, uh, Scott Moore from Sportsnet, Dave Branch, Gord Kirk, the league lawyer, obviously they thought that our bid was compelling enough to justify giving it back to us again nine years later. Now, for those that were unhappy that we got it nine years apart, uh, the... Uh, the sad part of the story was that we did not win. We hosted it and we had a great team like Bo Horvat, uh, Chris Tierney, all the Max Domi, all those guys were still back. And we'd won the first, or we won the championship in 212 and 213 with a very young team. And we didn't end up winning a game at all in the year that we hosted in 214. And the one thing that I never anticipated in the year and a half of preparing to host the Memorial Cup in 214 was that we would run into a hot goalie. Um, from uh, Bacomo, I think he was from Bacomo or, or Naranda Darun, uh, Bebo, who got drafted by the Leafs. He stopped like 53 shots in the first yeah. game against us. 
and we didn't win a game in the tournament we hosted. And I never thought for a moment that we would be going home as the expression goes. Like some every year, one team goes home on the Wednesday uh, yeah. when the final of the final game of the round robin is played. And unfortunately, it was us that went home. And Guelph ended up playing the finals against Edmonton and lost to Edmonton, a real good Edmonton team, a real good Guelph team. Uh, so for those that felt bad that we got it twice, we didn't win it twice at home. We won it the first time and, and uh, you know, certainly didn't do as well as we thought we would do when uh, we hosted in 214. But still a great experience. And the London fans have had a chance to see the Memorial Cup up close and personal on two occasions. And it's like, a, you know, a 10-day long wedding celebration party that just goes on and on and on. So, you know, both years it was a great event. Now, Trevor, I'm not going to let you off that easy, my friend. I know that there's other incredible things that you created, like 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 things that like events that you guys did during the Memorial Cup. Like, <clears throat> like I'm trying to think of an example, but oh, well, I, one of the things we added in uh, in 214 is we we uh, did a deal with the Hockey Hall of Fame to bring yes. down a uh, 4,700 square foot hockey hall of fame exhibit exhibit. Yes. Of all kinds of memorabilia with a focus on junior hockey. It wasn't all junior, but there was a, a big emphasis on junior hockey and, you know, people in London that didn't have the uh, desire to go two hours to Toronto, the hall of fame could see it right down in Covent garden. And we allowed everybody to come in for free and you could shoot pucks and do all the interactive stuff. And every night we had a, a panel of retired players, Troy Crowder, who you would know was there one night, uh, uh, Brian Kilray. Uh, we had, you know, alumni that came back from our league and talked to the fans uh, in a Q and A, oh, sorry, they did an interview like with Mike Stubbs, the radio host, and then did a Q and A with the fans. So I, I was proud that we, that we did that. And, and Rick Doyle, uh, who is a former London Knight, Colorado draft pick way back when, and is the voice of the London Knights on uh, Rogers Cable. He was instrumental in helping build out that event. And we did we did golf tournaments. We did um, pancake breakfasts to raise money for charities. We raised in uh, in 2005. We raised fifty thousand dollars for Parkwood Hospital, which is the veterans care facility in London, where all the guys that served our country in the Second World War and the Korean War. Uh, we're staying. We raised fifty thousand dollars. So in two thousand and fourteen, we said we're adopting Parkwood again as our charity of choice. But this time, we want to raise a hundred grand, and we did raise a hundred. And we also raised money really? as well for uh, the families of veterans from uh, Afghanistan who had uh, uh, been injured or, or killed. So you know, we did some great charitable work in London, and I was very proud of that too. We didn't win the tournament in 214, but I think we contributed a lot to the landscape generally, charitable hockey-wise, all sorts of stuff. So, yes. Yeah. Now, so now let's see. I'm, I'm seeing it here. Now, this award of distinction by the Federal Minister of Veteran Affairs, the efforts for raising awareness for veteran issues, that was the same year when you got this award? Oh, that was 2005. Yeah, I was okay. very fortunate that... Uh, the year of the veteran, like the Memorial Cup, as you know, is named in honor of those that served and gave their lives in the First World War. And it's now become uh, emblematic of all people that serve, including the first responders. 
So the Memorial Cup is named in honor of all those people. But 2005, when we were hosting the Cup in London the first time, coincidentally, it happened to be the year of the veteran. And we did a lot, like we raised, as I say, $50,000 for the veterans. And we also had a number of functions out at Parkwood Veterans Care Facility in London. And in fact, we held all of our host committee meetings there uh, in a boardroom that they allowed us to use. And it was a, a, an unexpected and very pleasant surprise to me, uh, I think on opening night to be given that award by the Minister of uh, Veteran Affairs for having uh, you know, made a difference to the lives of veterans. And yeah. uh, we, even in 214, we tried to do what we could. Like I remember Dave Hutchison, former Leaf, uh, Leaf player, LA King player, former London Knight. We took the Memorial Cup to see a guy named Sid they called him Sid the Kid. He was in the veterans care facility. He was over 100 years old. And he couldn't come downstairs. So Hutchie and I took the Memorial Cup up to his room so that he could see it. And, uh, you know, it's it's moments like that that, uh, uh, you know, you just, nothing else in your life ever compares to a special moment like that. And and to be able to to contribute to brightening the the day of a, of a veteran like that was uh, a special moment. And, you know, I still, I still see Hutchie, we're friends. He's, he's down in London and uh, uh, a great moment to share with Hutch and, and with Sid, the kid who was over a hundred at the time. That's so cool, man. Trevor, yeah, no, this is what I was. Memories. Yes. Okay. This is what I was thinking of, man. This was so interesting to me when I heard about this. Now, now what reminded me is when you said the name Troy Crowder, didn't you set up something with the, with the war veterans and the tough guys in the NHL and the similarities between their personalities oh, and how yeah, they yeah. show that for their teams. Yeah. One of the nights we had in the hall of fame, like at the end of the day, we had the, uh, uh, the former players back to do the Q and a and the interviews. And, um, we had some tough guys who like Troy Crowder and I forgive me. I, uh, I'm going off just off memory here. So I can't remember all the guys yeah. that were there, but they talked about, how the real tough guys were the guys that had served in the armed forces. Like, you know, we put on a uniform, we go out, we fight somebody, we're in the box for five minutes, but these guys were putting on uniforms and traveling 4,000 miles and putting their lives at risk, not just their sort of uh, their ego or their reputation in a fight and no disrespect to the fighters, obviously. Cause that's yeah. Yeah. But oh, yeah. these guys were true heroes because they put on the uniform, left home, traveled 4,000 miles and ran the risk of getting killed. So, yeah. you know, we, we had a part of one of the nights we had was a group of tough guy NHL players uh, getting together with veterans and, uh, and comparing notes about uh, how they all survived their battles. You know, that's really it cool. Was interesting uh, at the Memorial cup in 2004, I had the privilege of having or 2005, rather I had Don Cherry and Ron McLean as our guest speakers. Um, at the dinner and they came down free of charge as a favor to, to me, to junior hockey, to the Memorial cup, to the hunters. Uh, and they went over and met the veterans. And I said to the veterans, we had like a couple of veterans tables at the dinner on the opening night. And I said to them, who else would you like to meet? You know, and I thought they might say, Oh, I'd like to meet Corey Perry or I'd like to meet Dale Hunter. No, they wanted to meet Dick Hunter, which is the father of Mark and Dale and Dave and, and Ronnie Hunter who's a tough old bird in his own right, but they wanted to meet him because they thought any guy that could raise three kids to play in the NHL and win Stanley Cups is a guy we wanted to talk to. 
So yeah. we spoke to the veterans, which was also pretty neat. Dick's a, a one of a kind guy in the, you know, heart of gold, uh, tough as nails and uh, uh, hard to keep down. Diagnosed, unfortunately, three years ago with cancer. And he's still plugging away with us, uh, you know, living on the family farm and uh, he'll live to be 100. Wow. What a tough guy, eh? Oh, yeah. Jeez, he's the head of the, the like, like the royal tough family, pretty much, oh, yeah. of hockey, right? Yeah. You know, people talk about the Sutters, and they were great, obviously, and there were six yeah. people in the NHL. But before the Sutters, there was the 300 boys played in the NHL. Uh, Dave went first, then Dale, then Mark, all first-round picks. Dave won cups, three cups yeah. in Edmonton. Mark won a cup in Calgary, and Dale made it to the final with the Washington Capitals and was captain of the Washington Capitals. And Dale is the second most penalized player in the history of the National Hockey League behind Tiger Williams. But Dale also played 1,000 games and had 1,000 points. Like, if you want to talk about a guy that should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, in my respectful opinion, Dale Hunter's the guy. 1,000 games, 1,000 points, and he did it while recording the second highest penalty total in the history of the league. So that's my speech for the day. Dale Hunter for the National or for the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame, along with Don Cherry for crying out loud, two of them. I be there. I agree a thousand percent, my friend, for both of those names, right? Yeah. Dale Hunter and Don Cherry. Yeah, no, that's great, man. I, I hey, thank you for sharing that, Trevor, because I really, really appreciate that. So now, I heard one key word the last few minutes. It was speaker, Trevor. This part of the show, okay, this is, I want to talk about, first of all, a company that, 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 that you know I was really trying to get into hard a couple years ago before I learned the, the school qualifications just because I'm so drawn to what you guys do, man. Now, we got a big sports conference coming up, my friend. I think it's the biggest sports conference in North America. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the largest in North America, but it's certainly the largest in Canada. Every in Canada. Year. We're talking about the primetime sports entertainment or primetime sports management conference and trade show, which is November 14th, 15th, 16th at the Western Harbor Castle Hotel. Uh, it's run by Primetime Sports, which is a company that Brian Burke and I founded and own together. And Brian Burke and I are co-chairs of the event every year, along with Shannon Hosford, who's the chief marketing officer from Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment who are our presenting sponsor. So between the three of us, we've uh, run a number of these conferences and it's it's gone from being sort of a, an embryonic thought back in 2007 when Brian and I talked about it. And the first year was 2008. And quite honestly, we really had no idea how to run a conference, but we had, I think we have 49 speakers and 49 delegates, uh, uh, but we had a lot of fun and we decided, hey, there's a need for this because this event gives young people and even older people like myself, an opportunity to network with and learn from other leaders in the sports business community. So we're in our 14th year now. And, uh, you know, Brian and I do it as a labor of love. You know, Brian's the president now of uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So yes. it's not like he's doing this to top up on his earnings. He does it because it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love for me, too. And uh, it's a lot of work, Sean. And yes. you'll be there this year. Yes, I will. One of our... Uh, uh, deputies that's uh, that's helping out which is great i appreciate it and I'm look forward to seeing you 
but it's a lot of work to put it together. But when it all comes together on game day, you think these are my the three most favorite days of the year. The opening night reception and then two days of great content with great speakers and uh, networking receptions at the end of the night. Um, we, we've had a labor case, uh, sorry, a labor arbitration case competition with law students in the past. We didn't do it this year because not all the schools are in class. We've had a business case competition, not doing it this year for the same reason. Uh, and we also have, and we are going to have with it this year, we have a careers and sport workshop on the Monday night after the first day of the conference for young people to hear from people in the sports industry, how to get into the industry. And they don't need to speak to me because I've been in it so long, my experience will be irrelevant to their experience. But we have younger people who are successful in the sports industry who are going to talk to young people about how to get in, involved in sports as a career. So it's great. We've got uh, like Kaylee Theos from Basketball Canada, uh, Mike Oak from the Peterborough Peets. Um, we've got a gentleman coming from uh, Woodbine Entertainment, uh, uh, Jeremy Dykstra. Um, and forgive me, I, I, I have not committed all the names to memory, but the Careers of Sport Workshop is a great opportunity for people to come to our conference to, to learn from people that are young that have had success in the sports industry. And in fact, you don't even have to come to our conference to go to the Careers of Sport Workshop. You just have to buy a ticket for a modest amount to go to the Monday night event. So uh, it's great to have a chance to give back to young people. And that's kind of what we're doing with this conference. I mean, later. yeah, I mean, Trevor, I mean, you're saying that you haven't been caught up with the names because, brother, there's so many of them. You guys are it seems like we're talking before the recording. Right. And I was saying that I'm just amazed with the guest speaker announcements that come well, over social media. You know, just to give you an example, our first panel of the day on day one is entitled, like we had to deal with COVID because COVID has been such an overriding factor in all of our lives. So our first panel is entitled, The Greatest Comeback in Sports, Overcoming COVID-19. And on that panel, we have Christine Simpson as the moderator, Christine with Sportsnet, of course, and a very knowledgeable and professional uh, commentator and journalist. She's the moderator. We have Randy Ambrosi on that panel, commissioner of the CFL, Nick Sakevich, the CFL, of course, missed the whole season, then had a shortened season this year. Nick Sakevich, the commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, is on that panel. Tom Anselmi from uh, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, vice chair, alternate governor. They hosted the bubble championship in uh, 2020 for the Stanley Cup, so they know a little bit about what COVID does. We've got Mark Gowdy from uh, Ottawa Sports and Entertainment. The Red Blacks lost the season. The 67s lost the season. Those are their teams. And I have uh, Jeff Atkinson from the Honda Indy. Honda Indy got wiped out two years in a row. And Jeff Atkinson uh, knows better than anybody the impact of COVID when you have one weekend a year to generate all your revenue and your bank gets wiped out. So that's just the first panel. And then later on Monday, as guest speakers, we have Stacey Allister, who's the executive director of the U.S. Tennis Association. So when they're handing out the hardware and the checks at the U.S. Open in Flushing Meadows, New York, six weeks ago, Stacey Allister's on the stage handing out the checks and the hardware. And what's so cool about her coming, aside from the fact that she's at the top of her field, 
in tennis is that she hails from Welland, Ontario, but has made it big in the United States in the tennis world. And then right after Stacy, Gary Bettman, who will be speaking at our conference for the 12th time in 14 years. Gary's been extremely generous with his time and, you know, he's just such a, a recognizable sports uh, person in this in this market, in hockey and in Canada and in Toronto, that when you announce that Gary's coming, that always helps boost attendance. So we, we're, we're lucky. And I'm just, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. On Tuesday, our guest speakers are Bruce Boudreau, who coached 13 years in the National Hockey League, good close friend of mine, love Bruce like a brother, and, uh, and Luke Tardif, who's the newly appointed president of the International Ice Hockey Federation, is also a lunchtime speaker. And he's with the IHF, but he hails from Trois-Rivières, Quebec, played in the Quebec Junior League. So, like, you couldn't have four better lunchtime speakers than Stacey Allister, Gary Bettman, Bruce Boudreau, and Luke Tardif. I'm, I can't wait to hear them. Trevor, trust me, I'm at the edge of my seat listening to this lineup, right? But yeah. on and top just, of like, that... I'm just scratching the surface, as you know. We have, we have over 60 speakers coming, and they're all leaders... In their respective industries, you know, the head of the Ticats, the head of the Hamilton Forge, the head of uh, uh, business for uh, Toronto FC, for the Argonauts, uh, for the Toronto Rock, for the Toronto Air, Air, Arrows, which is a Arrows. rugby team in the national um, or Major League Rugby, sorry, is the name of the league. Like we've got people from all kinds of sports and it's just, it's going to be great. And that so rugby... if you haven't signed up, sign up now. Yes. Okay. So now that ca. Yeah. Say it again, Trevor, because we're right on the point right now. Primetimesport.ca. You can see the agenda and you can register to attend. And Sean, I want to say that we have never raised our rates for attendees since we started in 2008. Our, our view has been keep the rate manageable and try and build up revenue by attracting more sponsors. So we have we're fortunate to have Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment as our presenting sponsor. Scotiabank is back for like the 11th year, 12th year. Rogers Sportsnet's our media partner. My law firm supports the event. Woodbine Entertainment is another new uh, uh, sponsor partner this year. So, you know, big names that uh, help underwrite the cost of the event so that a student at the, you know, Brock University Sports Management Program can come to the event just as easily and as cheaply as somebody could have done it in 2008 so wow yeah well and and that's a you know what trevor like like that is a big deal because it, it shows the commitment that you guys are having and it also displays that this is a passion for you guys not a money maker this is your passion you're doing this for others yeah it's 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 a great event i am very passionate about it in case you couldn't tell um, <laughs> i'm very passionate about it uh the three days of the event are the highlight of the year for me. It's a great opportunity for me to see and hear, like to see people I know and to listen to and learn from and network with other leaders in the sports industry. It's just that it's a one of a kind thing. And it's the sort of thing that Brian Burke and I didn't have the opportunity to attend when we were young bucks trying to find our way in the sports business. So everybody needs a break and we got our breaks, but Breaks are easier to create now because there's an infrastructure. It's a more evolved industry too. As I was saying earlier, you know, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment hire all kinds of people that do all kinds of things. So there's lots of opportunities for young people to find their way in the sports world. And I encourage young people 
not to just sort of think, well, I want to be a coach. I want to be a general manager. I want to be a trainer. You know, I want to be a player agent. There's a million other jobs off the ice, outside of the arena, in the office towers, running the business side of sports uh, that give you opportunities to get involved in a meaningful way. No question. Now, and, and thank you for sharing that. Now, Trevor, now, now let, me give, let me give some more insight on, on the point that you just made. Now, for example, someone like myself, I'm interested in being a sports broadcaster. The lineup that you guys have from Sportsnet and, and others. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I can't believe it, man. I'm well, just... Almost every one of our panels is moderated by a Sportsnet on-air personality. That's a deliberate strategy on our part to create immediate, you know, name recognition and sizzle. And I, I, I won't name them all because I'm going to miss somebody, but we've got John Shannon, Paul Jones, Christine Simpson, uh, Sam Cosentino, Elliot Friedman, um, Carolyn Cameron, our, our uh, hostess uh, throughout yeah. the event. And Carolyn is one of tremendous. my favorites. Yeah, she, this is her fourth year as uh, the MC of our event, and she does a tremendous job. And when I see her on TV, I kind of feel like proud of her, although I have no reason to claim any you know credit for what she's done. But I feel proud of what a great job she does for a young person. She's only probably... 30, 31 years of age, but she's very polished, very mature, very professional. She'll be interviewing Stacey Allister. Uh, really? On the Monday. And, and uh, she's also going to interview Luke Tardiff on Tuesday. So, no, we've been very lucky to get uh, a lot of uh, Sportsnet on-air personalities to uh, 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 Jeff Merrick is doing a panel yes. on Tuesday morning. So, yeah, we've been very fortunate. I'm sure Mr. Ken Reed will be there. I'm not sure if he's coming or not. Um, like the attendance list is not finalized until the drop of the puck on the morning of uh, November uh, 14. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of guests that I've had on this show. I know my, Mr. Michael Fuda is a, is a guest speaker. Mike was, but he is being sent. Mike Fuda, is, you know, he's a friend of mine. Uh, he's yes. an OHL alumnus. We both know him through the OHL. Mike is a, the ultimate self-made guy, by the way. I have a lot of respect and time for Mike Fuda and what he's accomplished in his career. Uh, he's done a, a great job of networking and building his brand and taking his game to the next level. You know, like when I first met him, he was an assistant coach with St. Mike's majors. Yes. And, you know, 15 years later, he's the vice president of the Los Angeles Kings oh, and winning Stanley Cups. Stanley That's Cup. a pretty meteoric climb for a young guy. Uh, but Mike was going to do our, uh, player evaluation panel on day two, but the Carolina Hurricanes who have recently hired Mike are That's sending right. him over to Europe to scout two tournaments uh, the weekend of our event. So Mike had to uh, uh, withdraw, but we'll have him again another time. We had him five years ago when he was with LA, but I have a lot of time for Mike Buda. And Mike has a lot of respect throughout the hockey industry. So it's great for him to be back in the saddle with the Carolina Hurricanes doing what he does uh, as well as anybody, evaluating talent. Yeah, I mean, I was I was so proud to see the Carolina hiring of of Mike. You know what I mean? And yeah. and uh, you know he was my assistant coach when I played for Oshawa. Um, yeah. and, he, and he I was also a student at St. Mike's when when he was the coach of the majors. And he actually wrote a a, a letter reference for me, a reference letter for me to get into that school. So oh, nice. Yeah, he's he's like like trust me, man. Your circle, everyone's awesome, Trevor. That's the type of people that you surround yourself with. You know what they say? You're the average of the, of the you're the average of the five people that you hang out with the most, right? 
Yeah, well, I've been very fortunate, as they say, to be in a position where I've had an opportunity to work with and learn from a lot of very influential, successful people. It's been a great run. Like I, I couldn't have written a better script and I could never have predicted that my career would evolve and unfold the way it has. I've been very, very fortunate. And on the law side too, it's been tremendous. You know, I've had a chance to work with Bobby Orr, Don Cherry, Brian Burke, um, Razor Ruddock, the boxer, uh, super agent Lee Steinberg. I've done work for the Detroit Lions, the Detroit uh, Red Wings, Christy Yamaguchi, Scott Hamilton, Ann Ottenbright, all Olympic gold medalists. Uh, um, I've done golf deals with Mark O'Meara, Nick Price, Fred Couples, um, Greg Norman, Annika Sorenstam, and a guy named Eldrick Woods, also known, known as Tiger Woods. Perhaps yeah. Turtle. <laughs> yeah. It's been like, pinch me. I can't believe my good fortune to be doing all this stuff. So, Man, I, I, I'm, I'm blown away, Trevor. But listen, I want an honest, honest answer here, okay? How excited are you, man, about this this huge event two weeks two weeks from today, ladies and gentlemen, because it is November 1st. November 14th is the first day of the three-day conference, right, Trevor? Yeah, the 14th is the, uh, is the welcome reception, which is an informal sort of get-together of speakers, sponsors, trade show exhibitors, delegates that are in town, you know, have a drink, uh, share an hors d'oeuvre. Shoot the uh, shoot the shit with each other, but the conference then starts in earnest the next morning on the Monday, the fifteenth. So, so like just so the listeners know, Trevor, like this is taking place at the Weston Harbor Castle, which is right on the water, downtown Toronto, Queens Key, right? Would be the address. Yeah, yeah, it's my favorite hotel, and they are tremendous to work with. Like we have been there for thirteen of the fourteen years. One year they couldn't accommodate us, and we had to go to the Royal York which is a great facility too. But yeah. the Weston is just such a nice setting. And the people that we work with there are so accommodating, so helpful. Like it's like, no matter what you ask for, they say, no worries, we can make that happen. Sure, no problem. You know, they just are so flexible to deal with. It's a, it's a, it's a tremendous facility and, and it's a five-star hotel. So it's a, it's a very elegant setting to host a premier event in. So you, well, you said that absolutely perfect because I'll tell you what, man. I got one regular season game call up, Trevor. You know who that team was against? Toronto Maple Leafs. You know what hotel I, I, I stayed there, at? Sean. I the Western Harbor Castle. Yep. That's where we I, stayed, I, man. Yeah, I, I saw you play that game. Yeah, and, I'm just and felt proud again. Not that I had done anything to uh, to deserve uh, a feeling of pride, but whenever any of your players are successful in hockey or in any other walk of, of life, you feel a sense of pride that, you know, these are your guys. Like all my players are like surrogate kids that I have all over North America and some over in Europe too, that, that I've stayed in touch with. And it's always great to see them, to see them and to see them do well. And you do feel proud of them because uh, um, you hope you had some kind of hand in them getting to where they are. And uh, they've had an influence on you too. Like all those people, like, like some of the kids we we had in Mississauga when you were there, like Nick Foley, uh, who was our goalie. Like Nick Foley, if if you could have made a goaltender your captain before Robert uh, Roberto Luongo did, Nick yeah. Foley could have been a captain. You know, Nick Foley was such a great human being and a great role model for young guys in the league, and a pretty good goalie on top of that. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. And the other thing, just to add to that, Trevor, like with the, with the Mississauga team, there was so many guys that I met there that I still know to this day, like that I'm friends with. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, like we mentioned Dan Sullivan, you know, like yeah. I, I was the best man. I ended up being the best man in his wedding. You oh, know what nice. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just like, we're still, we're still best of friends. I'm still friends with McGratton. Like there's yeah. still, there's a lot of guys that, you, you know, that you build relationships with these stops. And that's the beautiful thing about hockey. Now, this is what I'm looking forward to Trevor. You know, you before, mentioned. Before we go further, just let me say something about Brian McGratton. Okay. He, Brian McGratton was a tough guy in the NHL. But his last year in junior, before he blew out his knee, he had 20 goals in 31 games. Like he was on yes. his track for a 40-goal season, 45-goal season in the OHL. Brian McGratton wasn't just big and rough and tough. He could skate very well, particularly for a big man. And he had a scoring touch. He had 20 goals in the OHL in 31 games. So, Brian, I, I, you know, Brian McGratton is another guy that I have a lot of time for. And when Jason Spencer left our team – uh, to go to Windsor, Brian McGratton became my captain. And yes. uh, uh, I couldn't have picked a better guy. Uh, guys on our team uh, uh, loved him. Guys around the league feared him. Perfect captain. And the thing is, Trevor, is he got tougher as he got older, I found. Because I found that when he was on Mississauga, yes, Gratz was always tough. But, man, did he ever get tougher when he turned pro, I believe. And he was such a good skater, Trevor, just to oh, yeah. add to that. His yeah. crossovers, remember remember yeah, the way he would skater. do his shim pads and his skates? He was a star, man. Yeah, no, he was uh, uh, He was a great captain, great teammate. Uh, everybody looked up to him. And uh, when Jason left our team, <coughs> excuse me, I was grateful to have Brian there to step up and assume a leadership role, along with Omar Adafati as well. Omar was... Uh, That's right. Player. I remember Omar. Yeah, and Omar right. was also a great player and a great leader in that dressing room. So we had a lot of young kids that hadn't played much in the OHL. So uh, Omar had been around a long time, and Brian had been drafted by the LA Kings and had been to at least two NHL training camps at that point. So, And, and Brian was like this awesome physical specimen. If you, you remember, like, you know, oh, yeah. he pulled his shirt off. Like, people were like, wow, you know, like, He's big, yeah. but he's like completely ripped too. No, oh, a hundred percent. So now, Trevor, like I, I know we've gone over the time, but just no to worries. add, just to add one more thing, but before we go about this primetime sports and entertainment conference, like first of all, I want to add that it's also leading edge strategies for managing and marketing the business of sport. That's one thing that I was like, wow, that's. One thing that I really want to pay attention to, I'm really looking forward to volunteering at this event. I'm really looking forward to learning from you, Patrice Whiffin, Brian Burke, everyone else that's involved with this. Because you guys are such big leaders, Trevor. That's what, well, that's what you people need to so. understand. Yes. We're all fortunate to be in the positions that we're in because, you know, uh, you need a break. And Brian, Brian Burke got a break when he was a young guy and got hired by Pat Quinn to be the assistant GM in uh, Vancouver. If Brian hadn't done that, he might still be a lawyer in Boston and I might just be a lawyer. I don't mean just a lawyer in Toronto, but I, you know, had I not gotten my break with Don Cherry and Hockenheim Canada, I might be an avid season's ticket holder of the Maple Leafs who knew a lot about 
statistics and what and who won what when but uh, I've got I've had an opportunity to really live the dream and I'm so grateful for it uh, you know it's just been a tremendous run for 30 years basically so yep and, uh, re remember the beginning of the show brother think big dream hard or dare, dare to be, to be different. different yes no I do say that and when you started to say it I smiled because I do say that and I say that to my kids you know, it's words to live by. You know, don't don't think it can't happen because what it is you want to do, somebody else is already doing it. And if they can do it, you can do it. You know, so yes, think big, dream hard, dare to be different and and make sure that your dream or you put yourself in a position to make your own dream come true. And uh, uh, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. Grab one of them for yourself. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Trevor Whiffin, man, that thank you so much for this, buddy. My pleasure. The, the insight. Caught up the, with you, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Sheriff, featuring special special guest, Mr. Trevor Whiffin. Thank you for joining us, and guys, we'll see you next time. Woo!